0: A man went out to fish on the ocean. He put his boat into the water and started the engine and headed out to his favorite fishing spot. But about 30% of the way to that spot, his motor began to cough and sputter and spit and almost stalled out completely. Now, it just so happened that the man had a secondary fuel source on board. So he disengaged, disengaged the primary fuel source and engaged the secondary one and tried again, started the engine. And it cleared itself out and it began to run smooth and quiet and strong. And so we he headed off to that favorite spot and spent the afternoon fishing. And then brought the boat home. And upon getting home and troubleshooting the situation, he pumped out the gas tank. And from that gas tank he pumped out over three gallons of water. From a fuel tank and a motor that is designed to run on gasoline, he found out that running on water doesn't work so good. Now, what is the lesson of the parable of the water in the gas tank, if you will? Well, first of all, this actually happened to me about a month ago. (laughs) And uh, it was under the wise guidance of uh, one of our fellow elders, actually, who knew that I was sort of testing out a new boat that that fuel tank was there so we're going to come back to that but this morning we're starting a new series on parables it's our summer sermon series parables eternal words in earthly stories and we're going to spend 10 weeks this summer talking about the parables of jesus we talked before about uh the fact that john's gospel that we just completed doesn't contain any of the parables of jesus and so how providential it is that god led us uh to this point point. and as we study Uh, the book of parable or the parables of of jesus uh you know we pray that the lord is going to teach us a host of things now to this point in our in our morning uh, we've done a lot of church so far right we we have had an opportunity to sing uh beautiful songs uh great words to our god to help orient ourselves refocus ourselves on him and off of ourselves We've spent time honoring dads and and being sensitive to those that that Father's Day is a tough day. And we've even recognized and honored our high school seniors, of which I have one this morning, so it was really particularly special. But now we come to our time in the Word of God. And as we come to the Word of God, it's important that we uh, come to a place of, of being receptive. In fact, it's a huge theme for this morning for what it is that God may want to teach us. And I, I couldn't possibly discern all of that and what God is going to communicate to you. But we want to approach his throne this morning and recognize that what we look at in sacred scripture is, comes from the very mind and heart of God himself. And so let's pray together. Our God and Father, we, uh, we thank you for the time of worship to give you glory, to prepare our hearts, just all the things that worship does, taking the lens off of me and putting it on you, all of those things, Lord. God, we thank you for the celebrations of this life and even the ability for a community to provide solace and comfort in celebrations that are hard for some lord we're grateful for seeing growth and maturity and transitions in life as we think about our seniors but lord in these moments as we look at your word god would you help us to be open to even hard truths today would you make the things that you want us to hear clear would you give us a soft-hearted teachable nature we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name amen well my job this morning is kind of fun because I get to just introduce the summer and share with you where we're going what we're going to be doing and I'm going to attempt this morning just to answer three uh, simple questions number one what is a parable what is a parable Uh, number two how do I read and apply parables to my life personally and then thirdly why did Jesus teach in parables why did he use this particular method of teaching so let's just take them one at a time first question is what is a parable Well, the the word parable means literally means to place alongside to place alongside and so it is in a very real way it's a teaching tool that is brought alongside uh, the truth that's trying to be communicated uh, for the benefit of the learner uh, in a literary sense, a good definition of parable is a parable is an elongated simile or metaphor with a distinctly spiritual lesson in its picture. An elongated simile or metaphor with a distinctly spiritual lesson in its picture. Uh, John MacArthur defines parables this way: ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. It has a nice cadence to it, doesn't it? It's easy to remember. Geniusly simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. But parables in the Bible are actually somewhat hard to define. They they sort of diverge from the literary definition a little bit because some parables are a single sentence with with just a a single image in mind. Others are quite long stories with multiple characters being developed and plot lines. And and so it's kind of hard to nail them down in terms of a, a succinct definition. But perhaps we could start with what parables are not. Parables are not history. They're not recounting uh, an actual event. And so, our propensity at times, because of how we study Paul's letters, for instance, uh, of asking questions about, like, well, why did he do it that way? Or why did they say this? Or why didn't this happen in sequence before that? Well, because it's not an actual historical account, it's a parable, it's a teaching tool. Uh, parables are not history. Uh, number two, parables are not riddles. This is not some secret code that God has allowed or Jesus spoke and was put in the Bible so that you could unscramble it to find your truth, if you will. It's a teaching tool, but it's not a riddle. Uh, Parables, strictly speaking, are not analogies. Now, they are illustrative, uh, for sure. That's one of their functions. But strictly speaking, they're not just to illustrate a point. They're actually to to teach a point, again, a teaching, a teaching tool. So our simple working definition that we're going to use this summer, you've already seen it, is eternal words in earthly stories. Eternal words in earthly stories. And so some of those stories, again, will be long and really developed, others very succinct. And uh, this morning, we're going to sort of take on uh, one single big idea, and it's this. It's that parables invite me into deeper truth and growth in Christ parables invite me into deeper truth and growth in Christ, if you will. And that applies really to any of us, whether you are someone who is brand new to the faith and and just exploring the Bible, learning of who God is, or you are a committed Christian who's been walking with God for a long time, or you're a skeptic and unsure about this whole God thing and investigating who Jesus is, or you're hungering for the truth of God, but you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus yet parables invite all of us into deeper truth and growth in christ so that's our our definition that's the what is a parable i want to give you two resources to consider for this summer the first is john macarthur's parables Uh, john macarthur's parables is a very accessible uh, account of of nine out of the ten parables we'll be looking at this summer easy to read we'll give you some background some context and some good uh, working questions um the second is michael blomberg's uh preaching the parables now this book's been around a long for a long time such that in 2006 when we did a series on parables we used the same resource back then and uh blomberg's book is for as zach would call them uh, the bible nerds in the room i'd call them the bible geeks because we're generationally a little bit different um but it's for those of you seriously that are bible students and you love diving deep into the word blomberg goes deep and then he gives you a sample sermon on each parable Um, and so you can find those on uh, we're gonna make um, MacArthur's book available uh, in our library and at the Welcome Center next week Um, but both of them can be found uh, on the web Amazon CBD whatever wherever your uh, place of choice to go is so that's our again that's sort of our first question what is a parable now we want to wrestle with the question well how do I read and apply parables now true confession There's something that's implicit in that question that perhaps you've already picked up on. Note that the question is, how do I come to church and listen to the parables, or how do I hear about the parables? The question is, how do I read and apply parables? Probably the biggest point this morning from an application standpoint is that I would exhort you pastorally to engage the material this summer. To read the parables, to study the parables if nothing else this series this summer might be one of the easiest to participate in and engage in uh, of many of the series that we've done why because they're stories they're easy to read easy to follow in fact the week that zach will do uh, in two weeks is literally two sentences Uh, so i really uh, exhort you to do that that's why we're providing those resources and i want to give you five principles uh for reading and applying the, the parables this morning by the way these can pretty much apply Uh, to any scripture. There's one or two that are uniquely for parables. But uh, the first thing is to uh, approach your study and read the parables with a short prayer. As you open your Bible and you look at the passage, approach it with a short prayer. This doesn't have to be profound. There's no magic words. But what I simply do is I just say, Lord, as I set aside this time to read this passage this morning, would you help me to hear and see what you want me to hear and see in it? Namely, Would you help me to hear, see, to know you more through it? And maybe for me at times, especially in the mornings, it's also kind of comes with the prayer of, God, help me to push out the million things that are on my brain right now so that I can do that. Start with prayer. Uh, Second thing is read the parable in its entirety. Now, this may seem rather obvious, but what I mean by that is don't read a verse and get hung up on a detail or what's happening with the character and just read it straight through. In fact, read it orally because these were taught originally orally so read it aloud maybe two or three times all the way through before you kind of dive deep in some uh deeper study principle number three consider the one main point that the parable uh is is looking to convey that jesus is is teaching uh as as you read the parable most parables far and away most of them have one main singular lesson uh, for which Jesus is telling the parable in the first place. The thing he's wanting to communicate to the audience at the time, but ultimately that we can also learn from. What is that? See if you can draw that out and discern that. And if you can't, that's fine. But even just engaging that thought process will help you as, as Sunday uh, approaches. So encourage you, encourage you to do that. Uh, then the next one kind of flows from that. And this one might might be a little bit more for those of you that have been students of the bible for a long time particularly if you've studied uh other genres of, of scripture uh, be careful not to over spiritualize or symbolize some of the images uh and details of the parables in other words uh, i've heard people say um in the parable of the prodigal son that as, as the prodigal son goes off into a distant country, he squanders his wealth, he's literally wallowing with the pigs, and he's eating, as the scripture says, the pods that the pigs are eating. And, and I remember uh, hearing people in Bible study discussions, like, well, what do the pods represent? Never mind that he's left his father and the wealth and all that. Like, what do the pods mean? Like, the pigs, okay, Jews weren't supposed to be involved with pigs, but I want to know what the pods symbolize. Or in the parable of the good Samaritan, you know the oil and wine that is used to dress the wounds uh, of the uh, the um, the injured injured man. Like, what does the wine in the in a vinegar or the, or the oil symbolize? Now, it's not wrong to do that, but in the genre of parables, that's not what's intended in the telling of the parable. There is a singular, most of the time, a singular lesson in mind. And Christians, more more seasoned, mature Christians, if you will, are notorious for getting hung up on some particular detail and missing the big point altogether. In many ways, new believers uh, at times can help us with that. Now again, in other genres of scripture, that's entirely appropriate. Uh, But we're talking about parables this morning. So be careful not to over-spiritualize. Finally, apply for today, but only after recognizing Uh, the context into which Jesus is teaching the parable. Discern the context. Think about the fact that as Jesus is teaching here in the first century, uh, they're a largely agricultural society. So learn about vineyards and crops and different things. They're largely a society that, like me this morning, is wearing sandals but walking everywhere on dusty roads. And so what would that be like? What would it be like to walk from New London to New Haven? in the dusty roads and just try to immerse yourself in the context of the time and then bring it into the 21st century Uh, Blomberg in his book says essentially to do it simultaneously he says this he says understanding and applying parables is not a case of either teaching lessons or contemporizing stories but a case of needing to do both and so ultimately after we've kind of discerned and sort of spent our time immersing ourselves in the context of the time of Jesus, we begin to ask those application questions. All right. So one bonus one, one bonus one. This is more of an exercise than a principle that will help you to do that. Uh, contemporize the story, re- write, rewrite it in a modern context and something that might take place in your life today. Uh, by the way, that's what I've done in the parable of the water in the gas tank. You'll figure out where uh, the story comes from and. Which uh, parable, I've done that with it when we get to the end. Uh, and so there's some principles uh, for you this morning. Why do we do that? Uh, because parables are inviting us into deeper truth and growth in Christ. So the more that you prepare and participate over this summer, the more that you'll be prepared to uh, hear the sermons that are given by those that are giving them. And so with that in mind, before we move to our last section, or our last question that we're working through this morning, I want to give you the schedule for the summer. And share with you who's preaching on what. So next week, Alan Patton, one of our lay preachers, uh, will be preaching on uh, the parable of the sower from Mark chapter four. Uh, Alan is a, a someone that preaches here about two three times a year, a gifted communicator, and uh, excited to hear his message. Uh, on the fourth of July, the very first Sunday of July it is Independence Day. Our associate pastor Zach Stevens will be talking about the two mini parables, if you will, if you will, of the treasure and the pearl and then on the 11th of july another one of our lay speakers and and, uh leaders who's involved in a host of every uh, areas here at the chapel uh will be preaching on the parable of the good samaritan on the 18th of july zach will be returning our associate pastor and zach's going to take on a cluster of parables that have to do with jesus second coming Uh, and that's going to be a fascinating message Uh, At the end of the month, another one of our more frequent lay preachers, you may be familiar with Dave Humiston, uh, he will be speaking on uh, that particular morning on uh, the parable of the laborers. And then we get to August. Now on Sunday, August 1st is traditionally here at Groton Bible Chapel, uh, Picnic Sunday, It's been a couple years since we've done a picnic for a variety of reasons, but I am excited to announce to you this morning that we will be, in fact, celebrating a full-on GBC picnic on August 1st. You can celebrate that. Yeah, we're excited. And uh, we spent some time this week even planning. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can make it um, August 1st, right after second service. But Brandon Barnes, one of our elders, uh, that Sunday will be speaking on the parable of the shrewd steward. And then another one of our elders will speak the next Sunday in August on the parable of the persistent widow. That's Tim Lennis. Uh, and then we have two of our ministry partners coming in the middle of August. Our ministry partner in Haiti, Pastor Jeff Tholusion, will be here and will be speaking on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. And then our dear friend uh, Dave Holcrin from His Mansion Ministries uh, will speak on the parable of the two sons or the parable prodigal son, if you prefer. And last, but certainly not least, our caring pastor, Jason Wallace, will preach on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So it's going to be a great summer. And uh, one of the things, again, it's a very accessible series, but one of the other great things is, if you're traveling and you have a lot going on where you're going to be out of state or whatever this summer, which I suspect is uh, probably a lot of us, uh, this is a series that you can kind of dip in and dip out of as you're here. But if you happen to be here every Sunday or you're able to tune in online when you're away, it will also kind of go in a nice nice series. So that's our first two questions. Now, if you've been uh, following, you'll recognize we have not looked at Scripture yet this morning. Uh, We want to look at at Scripture in Matthew's Gospel to answer our third and final question. Why does Jesus teach in parables? Why does Jesus teach in parables? Now, uh, just to set up this passage before we read it. In Matthew chapter 12, and I believe it's John 9, Jesus has uh, healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. He healed him on the Sabbath. And, and this is a, it's a nexus point. It's a significant moment in Jesus' public ministry because the Pharisees come to him and they accuse that the power by which he's done this miracle and really they intimate, intimate all of his ministry and miracles is that of the very power of, of Satan, the devil himself. And, and Jesus, at this point, there, there's a, like an I'm done moment here, and Jesus changes his tactic in this moment. You can read about it again in Matthew 12, and he begins to teach in parables, whereas before he's teaching in uh, you know more propositional statements or in a sermonic way, if you will, the parable of the or the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain and and uh, the accounts that we looked at over the last year in John's Gospel. He shifts modes for this reason, and he begins to teach in parables. And the disciples pick up on this. And so, where we pick it up is them, the disciples coming to Jesus with a question about this very thing. Matthew 13, uh, verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says... You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, because they do see, and your ears, because they do hear. This is a tough passage. Jesus says some particularly hard things and in this passage are a couple of significant warnings and some encouragement as jesus is responding to what has happened with this man born blind and the miracle that he does and the response of the pharisees and the question of the disciples now let's look at uh, the disciples question a little bit because i think the question the disciples ask is actually much more universal than just the question that they ask you know, they want to know why Jesus has changed his mode of teaching, and he gives them this uh, tough answer. But I suspect there are times in all of our lives, there certainly has been in my life, when we ask God a very similar question. Like, God, I I thought I understood how things operated, but what are you doing now in my life? It might be that there have been seasons in your life where you really were in tune with the spirit of God. As you read his word, you could hear his voice. There was a deep, deep, intimate connection. You saw God working in your life as you shared about him with friends or as you overcame obstacles. And it was just a powerful season in your life. But then came a season of dryness or the seeming uh, absence of God, a lack of his voice, a season of prolonged waiting and unanswered questions where you say, God, what are you doing right now? I don't understand. What has changed? I think that's the spirit of what the disciples are asking. Now, their question is a little bit more, uh, you know, just methodological, if you will. But behind that question is is a sense of security and stability and understanding about what Jesus is up to and about who he is. And so we ask that question, too. Uh, Jesus, as we're going to see this summer, is a master storyteller. But beyond that, how he answers this question is he essentially says that he is both a concealer and a revealer of divine truth. And the key to this entire next section, uh, just to put it out there right away, has to do with prior belief or unbelief. It has to do with the condition of a soft or a hard heart that Jesus is addressing. Remember the context, we're keying off the Pharisees, accusing him of working by the power of Satan. And so Jesus is saying that he is a uh, revealer and concealer. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. Jesus is identifying two different groups here. Now, in my version, in the CSB here, it uses the word secrets. I actually prefer the word mystery. It's a better rendering, and probably some of your Bibles have the word mystery. And we need to be reminded what a mystery is. A mystery in the Bible is something that is either partially or fully concealed in the Old Testament that is then revealed in the New, and particularly attached to the coming of Christ. It's something that because Jesus came, there is new revelation, things that were clouded uh, or, or not fully understood by the prophets and even the angels, Peter says, uh, in the Old Testament, become clear and a revelatory with the coming of Christ, most particularly in the fact that he is, Jesus is, the Messiah and the Son of God. And so when Jesus says uh, that the mysteries, uh, the secrets in, in my version, are, of the kingdom are meant for you to know but not for them, He's identifying further revelation to those who are his own. Now, the next verse tells us, and this is why this passage is tough, that this is is intentional by God. God, through Christ, is intentionally both concealing and revealing to two different groups. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 12. He says, whoever has more will be given to him. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. There is an action on the part of God's in, in, in God in, in his intent of giving more revelation and more truth and even removing revelation and truth. Remember, again, anchored in belief or unbelief, prior belief or unbelief. And we'll get to the warnings here in a moment, but there's also, there's not just divine intent, but there's also sort of the human perception. And there's human perception in terms of Uh, uh, those that are not believers and those that are believers. Listen to what it says uh, in verse 13. It says, Because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. When it comes to those who have not believed Jesus' words or deeds or miracles to this point, Jesus is saying that there is a hardening of hearts There is an unbelief that is now going to render them incapable of knowing more. Another way to say it is they are responsible to respond in faith to the most basic revelation in order to receive deeper revelation. And the parables, Jesus say, are a vehicle of that. They're a vehicle of either concealing or revealing uh, that revelation. Now, the reality is in Jesus telling Parables to non-Christians, to non-believers, to those who have not trusted in Him is both an act of judgment, which is probably fairly obvious, right? It's that they aren't getting further truth, but it's also an act of grace. It's a measure. It's a measure of God's grace. Well, how is that the case? That Jesus, in not revealing deeper truth, that they are not accountable for what they don't know. They're only accountable for that basic. Revelation listen to what Luke 12 says Luke 12 48 says the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows from everyone who has been given much much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked what this passage is introducing is introducing a concept that and i'm going to make a teacher's blunder here i'm going to give you the concept and not explain it uh, because we're going to deal with this topic in september so i'm giving you motivation to attend church all the way into september or at least tune in online here's the concept there are degrees of punishment biblically in eternity in hell there are degrees of reward in eternity in heaven that's a biblical concept that we For one, we just don't have the time this morning to unpack. But we're going to spend some time on that Jesus, by by concealing a measure of deeper revelation and deeper truth about himself and who he is and what God expects, that they are not accountable for. They're accountable for the basic revelation. Now, one of the things I I prayed for coming to this sermon, that was that God would give clarity, that it wouldn't cause you to be confused here. So here's the big point. You're accountable for what you know. You're accountable for what you know about Jesus. I'm accountable for what I know. If you are a deep, committed Bible student and you know the Bible upside down, backwards and forwards, right and left, you're accountable for what you know. And I don't tell you that so so that you'll feel guilty. I mean, if nothing else, that applies doubly to me standing up here. And so I say that with a measure of fear and trembling. But there's some mercy in Jesus concealing. All right, that's the hardest part, I promise you now on to the blessing the encouragement that jesus says blessed are your eyes because they do see blessed are your ears because they do hear in paul and so if there's there's truth that's concealed to unbelievers there's truth that's further revealed to those of us who have trusted in jesus and i pray that that's you this morning but listen to what paul says on this idea of mystery and revelation and so forth Uh, in second corinthians or first corinthians 2 he says we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him." Now God has revealed these things to us by his Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. One of the reasons that Jesus quotes Isaiah nine or Isaiah 6 earlier in talking about those who are hard-hearted towards, towards, uh, towards who he is, is he's saying that they are fulfilling the uh, hard-heartedness that was first portrayed in God's people in Isaiah's time. And and the people in Isaiah's time were so hard-hearted against the things of God that he exiled them and punished them. Jesus is saying, "This this is another sort of fulfillment of that. And so he means it when he says, blessed are you that your eyes do see. And that that happens, Paul writes, of course, after the Holy Spirit has come, that these truths are revealed by the Spirit of God. So praise God if you are a person who has given your life to Jesus that you know him by the power of the Spirit. And Paul talks about the, the mystery of God's wisdom. We talked about that word mystery already. What is the mystery of God's wisdom that Paul elaborates on later? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Deliverer, so on and so forth. It is Jesus Christ who lives for you a perfect life, obeying every command, fulfilling every law, It is Jesus Christ going to a cross for you, receiving every punishment for every sin in himself on the cross for you. It is Jesus Christ rising from the dead, conquering sin and death, and offering to you through faith on that revelation forgiveness, eternal life, redemption, purpose, meaning, hope, and on and on we could go. That is the essence of the gospel. And oh, that we would respond with deep and abiding faith. I love the term that Zach used last week because it encapsulates what Paul says, where Paul says that further revelation is for those that love him. Zach used the term affectionate surrender. And that's exactly, exactly what we're talking about. You know, John MacArthur in his book, he sort of sums up these ideas relatively succinctly. He says this, He says the parables hid the truth from the self-righteous or self-satisfied people who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn from Jesus. While the same parables revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus thanked his Father for both results. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight." Parables, indeed, invite me into deeper truth and growth in Christ. And I wonder this morning, which one are you? Are you self-satisfied and self-sufficient and even self-righteous, or are you humble like a child, eager to learn of God? Two examples, and then we'll conclude. Uh, in the, in the uh, book of Romans, Paul brings the, for instance, to mind in the same teaching of Pharaoh in the Exodus. Pharaoh in the Exodus, we've talked about this before, that uh, Moses brings to bear on Egypt through the power of God, the 10 plagues. And Pharaoh, it says, responds to the first five plagues. The text tells us that he hardened his heart against Moses and against the God that he represented. But there are 10 plagues. In the response to the other five plagues, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There is the warning that we are accountable for what we know. And so when we listen to the parables this summer, we're hearing the deeper truths of God. And it is only our belief and the softness or hard-heartedness of our hearts that determine how we will receive those stories. Will they just be pithy stories with an ethical kind of theme? Or the very deep truths of who God is and how much he loves you and what he desires deeply for you? Getting to our final point this morning uh, as we really apply this, why parables? Because parables challenge from me a response. They challenge from me a response. And this this morning, this Sunday, my goal has been to just perhaps compel you to consider reading the parables week by week, seeking that deeper truth from the Lord as you prepare to come to church uh, each Sunday. Well, what is the lesson of the parable of the water in the gas tank a man went out to fish on the ocean and upon going to the fishing spot that he loved his motor began to run with sputters and skips and almost died and so he hooked up a secondary fuel source and the motor began to run great and so getting home he troubleshot the situation and pumped three plus gallons of water out of the gasoline tank Folks, we cannot run for God. We cannot live in an obedient and faithful way for God if the fuel that is in us, as it were, is not coming from Him. Again, part of what we're uh, compelling one another to this morning is to ingest and digest the Word of God. By the way, if I was a nutritionist and this were a health and wellness seminar, I could go crazy with that illustration. But we're applying this spiritually this morning, that you would take in the Word of God So jesus said this parable this way he said this in luke chapter 6 a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit nor does a bad tree produce good fruit for each tree is known by its fruit a good person produces good fruit out of the good that's sown in their heart a bad person produces bad fruit out of the bad that's sown in their heart for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks this morning as you reflect on this message as you go out throughout your father's day may it be that the lord compels you to uh, receive what he has to you from his word as fuel for your very soul because the parables invite us into deeper truth and growth in christ pray with me this morning our god and father we thank you for your word lord we look with great anticipation to these sermons we're going to hear this summer pray that we would be active participants in this series this summer as we grow in our own discipleship as we grow as a community of your people Jesus I thank you for these hard words that remind me not to become self-righteous or self-sufficient but to be humble soft-hearted and dependent toward you thank you that you reveal your truth to babes to those who love you And I pray for the person this morning, Lord, that is really struggling with cynicism or pride or something that would block them from trusting you with the most basic revelation of of who your son is, their Savior, who died for them on that cross because they loved them explicitly. God, would you work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.